0: My name is Jeff Harbach. I'm the CEO of Coffin Fellows and the host of the Coffin Fellows podcast. This season, our podcast is produced in partnership with Mighty Capital and features different Coffin Fellows as co-hosts. In this podcast, we dive deep into the personal narratives of some of the most successful names in the venture capital industry, but we're not here just to explore their highlight reels, however impressive they are. From failures and formative learning experiences to inflection points and aha moments, we discuss the real authentic journeys that each individual goes through to become the best version of themselves in order to best serve the entrepreneurs they invest in. Covering various themes in venture capital investing, we speak with the world's top leaders in capital formation, all from a place of authenticity and vulnerability. Together, we'll unravel what truly makes a great venture capital investor. Now let's meet today's host and their guest. Hi, I'm Wayne Moore, managing partner at AVG Basecamp Fund, and I'm excited to host this series on vet to venture where we talk with veterans about their unique path from the military to a career in venture and technology let's hear from my guest today hello welcome to the Kaufman fellows podcast i'm your host wayne moore and today i'm joined uh, by my guest bradley harrison of scout ventures how are you brad i'm great thanks for having me today wayne absolutely absolutely great to be with you uh, i'm excited to have brad join us today brad and i actually first connected a couple years Ago in Chicago and Brad was gracious enough to invite me out to a dinner when I was just getting started in venture and there were some other investors and some of his LPs for his fun there. So I've always really appreciated that uh, personally, Brad. So really excited to have you on. Yeah, of course. So so Bradley, uh I'm here today to talk really about sort of the path from being a veteran and getting into careers in venture and technology. So if you could just take me back to your days uh, in the military and kind of walk us through that path of how you ended up becoming a venture capitalist.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Wayne, I'd, I'd actually just touch on the fact that, you know, I grew up in a pretty entrepreneurial family, right? My dad worked for himself. And so when I was a kid, I was always doing entrepreneurial things. I had a landscaping company, I had a painting company. You know, I I ran the local little league umpires. You know, I always had a hustle. Mm-hmm. And so then I went to West Point and I got in the army. And actually in 1995, when I was a lieutenant, you know, HTML was just coming out. And actually me and another classmate from West Point, we would go into border books and we were reading like HTML for dummies Right when the internet was brand new and everybody was on dial up, and we started to like think about launching businesses. So, I would say that being an entrepreneur was probably core to who I was. And then for me, my transition out of the military you know, you either go get a job or you go to grad school. That tends to be the path for a junior military officer transitioning out. For me, I was fortunate enough to go to grad school at MIT Sloan, and I got to Sloan in 1999, which was the first dot-com kind of craziness. And so I was fortunate enough to be in the middle of Cambridge, in the middle of entrepreneurial insanity, and I was actually at a school that focused and had a track called New Venture and Product Development. So I was studying everything there was from venture finance to how you build a product to how you do marketing to, you know, people and all of that. So I would say that my path was actually pretty deliberate. It was, you know, pulling on my entrepreneurial roots. And then it was a very deliberate decision to go to a school that had a very entrepreneurial focus in the middle of what was the first dot-com bubble. And then, after all of that, you know, I realized very quickly that like, working in one company was too boring for me. <laughs> so the way that you solve that is you become an investor and you invest and you help a bunch of entrepreneurs. So that's that's how I ultimately got to the venture side. So entrepreneurial spirit, trained in venture product development. Did a couple of startups and realized that it was way more fun to work on a lot of companies than just one. And So that that's how I got here.
0: So no, I appreciate that and totally understand that, and I hear that from a lot of you know former military folks. Just this desire to, to pursue entrepreneurial uh, passions, but then also the desire to do a lot of different things. Right? Uh, I feel like you when you're in the military, you, you wear a lot of different hats, and so taking that into the, the private sector is something that I've seen as well. Uh, But if you could really quick, just kind of talk briefly about what you actually, what what was your job in the military?
1: So I was an, uh, I mean, I was, I was an airborne ranger. I was a light infantry uh, officer. So I started as a platoon leader, which is managing a team of about 34 combat troops and then moved to the role of XO. So executive officer. So I was number two in charge of about uh, 134 Troops, and then I actually um, moved to the very glorious job of being support platoon leader, which means you're in charge of everything for the entire battalion. so the vehicles, getting people food, the mess hall, kind of all of the logistics. I moved from there to the the battalion supply officer and then from there I went and worked for the general and was what they called the g five which is the civil military officer, which is in charge of liaisoning with host nations and governments. So kind of did like small team management leadership, moved into logistics, supply, you know, how things move around. um, And then really focused on people, Mm -hmm. negotiations, psyops, all of that. And then I transitioned. So had a lot of really, really amazing experiences was based out of Hawaii almost my entire military career. So had the very tough duty of (laughs) being in the Pacific Rim and got to travel to Australia, Thailand, uh, Japan, a bunch of amazing places.
0: No, Hawaii is definitely not a bad place to be. So so transitioning out, you talked about how you had a really deliberate uh, path to trying to work in, you know, build a career in technology and ultimately venture. I think sometimes folks transitioning out of the military uh, have a tough time translating the skills and the lessons that they uh picked up in the military into the private sector. Can you talk about some of the things that you you picked up in the military that ultimately inform the way you operate as a as a VC today?
1: Yeah, so you know, it's interesting because I think people's perception of people from the military is wrong. I think they think we're just a bunch of people that follow orders and we don't, you know, think on our feet and, you know, we're just out there kind of like doing, you know, we're robots, right? When in fact, military people have to make split decisions under really stressful environments. They have to work in small teams. They have to be fit. They have to be mentally sharp. They have to focus on their fitness and their mental health. And those are all actually The same things that I would recommend any entrepreneur do, right? If you can't take care of your mind, body, and your soul, how are you going to be able to focus on the stress of building a company, issues with your founder, raising money, product market fit, you know, issues with customers, issues with investors, you know, all there's just so many different things that you have to do. You have to wear so many hats, And in the military, you're very, very good at filling different roles because it's a team environment. And in a small team, you know, on a squad level, one day you might carry the radio. The next day you might be in charge of another four man team. The next day you might be the lookout. The next day you might be the squad leader, right? So it can change and having the ability to work and adjust in stressful environments is exactly what makes military veterans so great at being entrepreneurs.
0: That's great. And I, I definitely want to touch on uh, you, you know your fund, kind of what you're focused on there. But before before we get to that, there were a couple of steps that you took uh, between uh, your time in the military, MIT, and, that, and launching your own funds. So I know you were at AOL. I think you, you have a yeah. couple of patents along the way. Uh, so I, yeah. I, I kind of loved it. Like, Bridge the gap and, and understand those those next steps that actually got you into a career adventure.
1: Yeah. So if you think about when you're in the military, right, you go to a bunch of different schools, right? They don't just throw you out an airplane. You go to three weeks of airborne school. You don't just start blowing things up. You go to demolition school. You know, you you have like little stints of experiences along the way to teach you core skills that are then going to ultimately make you a better leader at the end, right? Right. And so being an entrepreneur to me was the same thing. So, you know, I, I mentioned to you when we were, you know, getting ready to start that, you know, my mentor is Dick Parsons. And Dick used to always tell me that, you know, don't think about where you are today. Think about where you want to be in five years. And then think about all the things you need to do and the experience you need to have to get where you want to be in five years. So what for me, when I, when I came out, I wanted to go to grad school so that I had a transition, right? And I knew that I had a lot of the people skills, but I wanted to understand. And I wanted people to give me more credit for being smart around technology. So no better way than to go to MIT, right? People just think you're good at technology because you went to MIT. So I I picked a, a path. Then I knew that I wanted to understand sales and biz dev, right? I wanted to understand the rene- the revenue generation side of the business. So I went to AOL, which at the time was you know the the largest you know tech company and one of the most successful tech companies in the united states and then when i was at aol i got to understand how the product teams work how the technology teams work how the marketing team interacted with the product and tech team to get ready to launch a product how we did pricing how we did customer retention and you know you learn all of the language and the vernacular that you then need then after that i took that experience and i went to a smaller team so i went sat and I was very fortunate. I got to I spent a stint working for Ted Leonsis, the vice chairman. Mm -hmm. And Ted would like bring me in a boardroom. And I got to be like this young, you know, 30-year-old sitting in a boardroom with, you know, David Colburn and Ted Leonsis and, you know, all of these amazing people talking about like this huge company. Then I went to a startup and I applied everything that I learned at AOL. Into growing this startup to 100 million in revenue, so I ran biz dev, I built out a team, and you know how do you use processes around your lead gen? What are the metrics that count? You know how do you do contracts? What do you know? Every aspect. And then when I left that gig, I actually advised uh, a handful of different CEOs. Along the way was an amazing CEO named Amar Goyle, who started a company called Comely Media, which went public last year as Pubmatic. And I actually helped Amar when he was at his very beginning stages. And I basically had a couple of experiences like that. Amazing entrepreneurs that needed help with whatever, raising the seed round, helping the VCs understand what they were trying to build, whatever it was. So I spend a little bit of time kind of as like a utility back, a little bit of fundraising, a little bit of outsourced biz dev. And then I use that experience and took a little bit of my own money and started writing angel checks. And again, uh, I'll cite Dick Parsons. You know, Dick said, listen, when the economy gets rough, the first thing people do is they fire their consultants. So it's much better to be an investor than a consultant because it's really hard to fire your investors. (laughs) And that couldn't have been any truer coming out of the end of 2007 into 2008 when the entire world imploded. And all of a sudden, that was kind of the precipice for me to transition into investing full-time in 2009.
0: Got it. And so that was around the time when you started raising uh, your first fund for uh, Scout Ventures. And so, yeah, I would love to just understand a little bit more about the origin of the fund, what you focus on, um, and, and kind of touch on sort of development and, and what led you to start the fund.
1: You know, I started as a generalist. I took uh, a little bit of uh, my own money. I convinced my dad to put up a little bit of money. And I convinced my friend, Clay Jacinto, who's also a West Pointer, to put up a little bit of money. And we basically took that initial pool of a couple hundred thousand dollars and we did our first nine deals. And then we pooled those deals and then we went out to guys like Dick Parsons. So I did my first deal in December of 09, kind of strung together some deals across 2010. And then in 2011, actually created a fund. And our first fund was four and a half million bucks, nothing spectacular, did 24 investments. And along the way, It was not only about raising money, doing a fund structure, but it was also like figuring out where did I want to invest. So, you know, I would do things that, you know, were spillovers from the military. So I would create an Excel spreadsheet and I would track things like how many employees every company had, how much revenue had they had, how much cash in the bank, how much runway, you know, like different things that I would use to track the companies. And I started looking at that data and saying, oh, wait a second, you know, these companies with, you know, companies with two founders were outperforming single founder companies, companies that I got involved, and they already had a product, you know, had more runway than companies that were pre-seed, you know, so I, I basically did a lot of like introspection, looking at data and where I was deploying my money. And that helped to form what became like a thesis around fund two. So I took a little bit, so I created, you know, I had a little bit of management fees. I used that to bring on a guy named uh, Brendan Siren, who was my first full-time hire. And Brendan and I started institutionalizing things, right? Like here's the criteria of what we invest in. Here's, you know, what, you know, here's our portfolio construction, meaning, This is how many deals we're going to do. Here's the check size. And this is how we're going to generate the return. And when you look at the initial numbers of fund one going into fund two, right, like we definitely got it right. You know, fund two is absolutely crushing it. And then the next evolution from that was, okay, now that we've looked at our performance, well, we really want to own 10% of our of a company with our first check you know we want to write bigger checks right so our first checks now are you know our average first check is about a million dollars when i started my first check was 15 grand right so you know and then building out the team and the partnership so i brought on a uh, in 2018 i brought on a, a graduate of the united states naval academy a partner named wes blackwell And then last year, I brought on another partner, a guy named Sam Ellis, who was a graduate of West Point. And Sam, you know, Wes was a helicopter pilot with some private equity startup experience. Sam was a military intelligence officer who's really a technologist. He's actually a coder, spent some time at some three-letter agencies. And what we realized our sweet spot was, number one, What kind of entrepreneurs did we want to invest in? And we invest in what they call hard to access founders. And we define that as founders coming out of the military, the intelligence community and leading research institutions and national labs. And the reason when we focused on that group of entrepreneurs was we were able to differentiate ourselves from other VCs based on common backgrounds. Right. So You know, the fact that we had a service background, the fact that some of them came out of service academies or the military, it allowed us to have a competitive advantage trying to source those deals. The second thing we looked at was what sectors did we want to invest in? And, you know, in fund one, as I mentioned, I was a generalist. In fund two, we started really focusing on SaaS-based businesses, so much more enterprise-focused we stopped doing consumer, we really kind of went to the enterprise, primarily because we just liked the the revenue model better. And so for fund three, we were still doing enterprise, but we started to look at companies that had the ability to be dual use, meaning they could get government revenue, but they could also get commercial revenue. And the reason that's so important is there's this dirty little secret You know, everybody thinks that the largest investor in innovation is, you know, VCs in Silicon Valley. But in fact, the largest investor in innovation globally is the United States government. And it has been since World War II. It is responsible for nuclear fusion, the Internet, cell phones, you know, half of the medical innovations. It all comes through the United States government and its function of investing in innovation. Part of that is into the military. So, you know, defense spending to create new technologies. Part of that is National Science Foundation. But, you know, there's all these different buckets. And that is traditionally called non dilutive government funding, right? Right. And what we realized is that on average, for every dollar we invested, we could get $3 of non dilutive government funding, which meant. That our entrepreneurs would experience less dilution and they would have more money to get more traction early in the life cycle of the company, which would ultimately lead in our thesis, and now it's proving out, to higher Series A and Series B valuations because they would have done more on less capital. And that served us really, really well. In Fund 3, we've got about $3 for every dollar that we invest. Um, has been non-dilutive capital. So it's been amazing for us. So really frontier tech, dual use with hard to access founders. That's that's kind of our sweet spot.
0: No, that's great. And as you think about, you're wrapping up, I think, uh, deploying uh, from fund three, going back out to, um, you know, raise your fund four, I think uh, soon here. How do you think about competing now uh, against other VCs out there that are starting to maybe like identify these entrepreneurs, identify some of these dual-use uh, types of companies.
1: Yeah, so I I think your best your best calling card is your past entrepreneurs. If uh, you know if if you're an entrepreneur and you think you want to work with a VC, the first thing you should do is ask for three entrepreneurial references. Right, so for us. I think our entrepreneurs help us win deals, right? Because they act as references. I think the second thing is have some good press and have some good wins. So, you know, we have two unicorns coming out of fund two, ID.me and Unite Us. ID.me was founded by Blake Hall, former Airborne Ranger, who transitioned through Harvard Business School. Blake is an absolute rock star and is – killing it, just killing it. And then Unite Us, um, was founded out of the scout office by Dan Brillman, who was an air force pilot and Taylor justice, who was a West point graduate. And so our two best performing companies, one was incubated inside, both were veteran founders. And I think that is the best thing you can do, right? Performance is the best indication of, uh, you know, whether or not you're a a good investor. And then, you know, I think there's this thing that runs pretty true with with most people that were in the military, which is, you know, trying to make sure that everybody's a good person. So we over-index on on the personal fit with the entrepreneur. And then uh, the other thing is, you know, integrity, which is the most important thing for us. So, you know, making sure that that person is of very high integrity and that we can spend a long time working with, them. you know, that it's going to, you know, that it's going to be a good long-term relationship. You know, it takes a really long time to build a billion-dollar company, so you better like each other.
0: Absolutely. Uh, when when you and I first connected, Brad, you were uh, based or headquartered in New York, and I know recently you've moved down to Austin, Texas. How do you think about going after deals in in that geography or, or not being on the coast anymore. Yeah, so
1: you know, I'm I'm pretty fortunate. So our partner Sam Ellis is still in New York. So we got a partner in New York. We have a partner in DC and then our associate just relocated to Austin with me. If the listeners don't know this, basically the center of innovation for the US Army was relocated to the Army Futures Command here in Austin so austin being centrally located became a really interesting attractive place for us you know number one new york is great i happen to be a new yorker it's my home my dad's still there like i i love new york to death but i did feel like it was getting a little saturated with a lot of vcs right like it seemed like everybody was showing up in new york so i thought new york's a great market but I like the idea of being able to differentiate by having a presence in New York, D.C., and Austin. And so for us, you know, we do work with Los Alamos out of New Mexico, and we have the State Investment Council of New Mexico as as an LP. So, you know, we have a trip scheduled in September to go to Los Alamos, meet with one of our portfolio companies, meet with some investors. So, also, you know, being centrally located between the coasts actually works pretty good for us. And, you know, I'd say we have a fairly diverse geographic distribution of our companies. So, I don't feel like it was a, a disadvantage moving. It actually, you know, from from some of the stuff that's going on here, it's been a huge advantage. So I actually am the only GC that sits on something called the Austin Defense Innovation Council. And so it's mostly comprised of innovation leads from the largest defense contractors, BAE, Boeing, Lockheed, General Dynamics, Raytheon, L3 Harris, SAIC, CACI. So you basically have this huge network that now exists in austin that didn't exist here three years ago and so for me it's been great because you know like the head of booze allen's you know initiative in a certain area of a government contract will like email me and say hey brad i saw you have a portfolio company that does this in artificial intelligence like we need that for this contract can you get it for me and so it's been great for biz dev for our portfolio companies and also just Building relationships within um, what we call the prime, the main prime contractors of, of the government. And what's great about that is the primes need innovative young companies to bring this innovation in the, the Department of Defense and the government. So it's been amazing for us.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like the fact that you were an officer in the military really helps uh, with a lot of those relationships. Uh, well,
1: mo- most of them, most of them are ex-military as well, so it, okay. it is it is a little bit of a you know a club in terms of the fact that the camaraderie allows us to differentiate for sure.
0: Well, no, I I appreciate uh, kind of walking through your background, talking a little bit more about the fun, but I'd love to go through a couple quick sort of lightning round questions. Uh, sure. You'll indulge me. Uh, so the first question is, what makes a great VC investor? <sighs>
1: Patience. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think you gotta be a good judge of character, ultimately. I think that's the most important thing to be in a good investor. You can always hire a new CTO, you can always hire a new head of marketing, a new head of sales, or whatever. You cannot replace The character of your founding team. If they don't have great character and you don't have a good working relationship, you're not going to have a successful company. Or if you do, it's going to be a very, very lucky and painful experience. So for me, being a good judge of character is really important.
0: What advice do you have for our audience of VC investors and innovators?
1: Number one, don't take yourself too seriously. Number two, Be okay with making mistakes because what we're doing is the hardest profession out there. And number three, have fun, right? Innovation is supposed to be fun. Creating new cool things that are changing the face of humanity is supposed to be fun. You know, just because you got a job at some big VC firm doesn't make you any more special than the entrepreneur that you're supposed to fund right this is about people building and innovating great things don't be too serious be a good person and you know have fun
0: last question how do you stay sharp what books podcasts or blogs inspire you
1: you know so i <laughs> it's probably like not not like the, the, the typical answer so number one i i think you need to meditate or do whatever the spiritual thing is that like helps you have like inner peace. Right. Because, you know, my friend once said, uh, you know, you can't bring world peace until you have inner peace. Right. So, you know, like, how do you, how do you reset? How do you calm down? Whether that's breathing meditation going for a walk with your dog, and I do all of those. I think that's really important. Number two, I think it's good to listen to things that help your mind relax. You know, a little bit of Joe Rogan, a little bit of Ben Greenfield fitness, and a lot of Dave Chappelle. And I think, uh, you know, those are things for me that just helped me not be too serious right it's like you know if you, if you know it's like it's like comedy with a little bit of like satire you know it's like just kind of to to decompress and i'd say those are probably the the two things you know if i were to say anything about a a book or a podcast you know the hard things about the hard things, whatever that book was, I really found that that was a a good read in terms of like how you build companies and the crazy, you know, the, you know, the the crazy things that you're going to have to face as a, as an investor and an entrepreneur, that was a pretty good read for me.
0: Right. And that's the, the hard thing about hard things uh, from Ben Horowitz, right?
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Great book. Well, Brad, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on, and I look forward to uh, my next trip to, down to Austin, and maybe we'll get out and, and grab some barbecue.
1: Or if you get lucky, <laughs> I'll barbecue for you. Oh, and, that's uh, that—that's that, the way to do it. And then we'll we'll come over and hang out and talk some more. Well, Wayne, I really appreciate it. Let me know if you have any follow-ups, and I'm happy to answer any questions for anybody. You can normally get me on LinkedIn or Brad at scoutventures.com. So thanks.
0: Thanks so much, Brad. Take care. That's a wrap. Tune in next week for another candid conversation on what makes a great VC investor with your host, the Kaufman Fellows.